Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Have your work be in a self-expression of your one thing. That's what draws money to you as a symbol of the value that you are and that you express. That, my dear ladies and gentlemen, is what money is. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Competence lies in the gap between who you think you are and what is actually true about you. The role of a teacher or mentor is to help people look into the gap in between. If you never risk achieving excellence and finding out where you fall short, you'll be stuck succumbing to mediocrity. A healthy ego includes seeing your goodness and seeing also how far you have to go without dwelling too much on one extreme or the other. Working to close that gap is where true fulfillment comes from. This episode was originally recorded as part of the Money from Burden to Freedom course, available now online at courses.clearandopen.com. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. It's sort of like abstinence. It's sort of like how uh, I had a client once who was a Mennonite. I learned so much from this guy. It was so interesting. He was a Mennonite in uh, Delaware and had a, a made beautiful furniture, handcrafted furniture. And he only, only hired what they call plain people, Mennonites and Amish. Amish are the people we typically know about. They don't use electricity and, and cell phones or anything. Mennonites are a little bit more liberal. They drive cars and use cell phones, but they don't use the internet. They, they abstain from information coming at them. So they don't watch movies and stuff like that. But uh, oh, I remember once uh, he was saying... Um, I've told this story before, I apologize. But uh, he was talking about not wanting to hire a bookkeeper who was a woman, lest he be tempted you know, to betray his wife. Um, that's the consciousness in that kind of community. And, and so the problem was all of the people he was looking at uh, for bookkeeping were women. So this was his hiring problem. So interesting, right? And I said... It's like, yeah, I don't go to the beach. I, you know, I don't look at women in, in bathing suits and stuff like that. You know, we don't do that. And I said, well, which is stronger? Which is stronger to hire a woman who bookkeeper and be attracted to her and not do anything about it or staying away from women entirely? Which requires more strength? <laughs> to me, the answer is obvious. So you see, like it's understandable. It's the same way. Like if you have a problem with alcohol, not having any, any, not having any alcohol in your house is a really good idea in the beginning. But how weak are you if, like, you can't even go in a bar lest you be tempted? 
You know, it's like it's an understandable compensation, but then work the thing out well enough so that you deal with the itch in the first place. That's dealing with the root. He did end up hiring a woman bookkeeper after we worked through that, after I challenged his level of strength. (laughs) And I said, hire a woman bookkeeper and just make sure she's not attractive at all. (laughs) I don't know how attractive she was, but it was it was fun to coach him. Fascinating getting involved in. Anything else? I had an interesting Dunning-Kruger nuance a year ago in my class at Gonzaga. I asked uh, the students to, they have to take this test, a Google Analytics professional certification test. And I asked how many thought they'd pass on the first try. And uh, seven raised their hand out of 30 that said they would would pass it. Only one of the seven passed. Uh, Five in the class did pass. It's a very rigorous initial exam, like it's a full professional certification. So five of the people passed, only one of them that raised their hand passed. And the other six didn't even score over 50%. Like they scored the worst of anyone in the class. Like, and it was just interesting to see how that played out. Like they were incredibly confident and they weren't even in the middle. They were lower third to lower quarter of the, the test. It was just fascinating to see statistically play out. Yeah. Thanks for that, Ed. And um, just a, a quick minute or two on management related to that or teaching. The, the role of a teacher, manager, mentor, parent, uh, is to is to help people look at that gap, to steer people into the gap between who they think they are and what's actually true about them, to support them to look at what their ego doesn't want to look at, which I do with you guys often. And do you notice how often you don't want to look? Do you notice that? Just fair warning. In my old age, I'm losing the desire to do it, which is what happens for most people. It's the job in some ways, but it's like, I know I've erred on the side of being uh, extra accountable. I err on that side. And I'm moving to the the other direction just because people don't want to listen. But your role, whenever you're in a, a learning role, like I'm in, I'm in the teaching role here, but when I'm talking to my Zen coach, I'm in the same role you're in with me. When you're in that role, I see it as your job is to make it, is to set the conditions so that your teacher is most likely to tell you what you don't want to hear. That's, if you really want to learn fast, that's what you do. You show up wide open. You're constantly asking where you're resisting. You're never defensive. You don't push back. That's how to maximize your return. In this case, I'd say it's a healthy motive. That's how you maximize your return on your hard-earned and then well-spent, I would assert, clear and open membership dollars. That's how you maximize that. You're greedy for your own self-fulfillment. You don't follow the path of mediocrity, which is to learn just enough so that you feel like you're growing without actually taking any real risks. Sound familiar? That's mediocrity. And most people, at least a simple majority, probably the vast majority of helpers, therapists, coaches, teachers, whatever, most of them will err on the side of not challenging you. Why? They're trying to maximize their dollars. And then they give people like me a bad name 
because like I'm dangerous and you know, like some kind of maverick or whatever. No, I just don't caretake people. Right. And that's what's mostly going on in teacher student relationships. There's a codependent loop of the teacher wants to retain the student and the student wants to feel good about their progress, regardless of what reality actually is. Well, good luck with that. Right. That's why look at meditation. You know, almost, almost all of you did the meditation uh, for awakening course, right? That meditation course challenged every single notion you had about what meditation was. And there's like 1% of meditation teaching in the world, if that will actually cover that kind of stuff. Why? Because it's so super sophisticated? Not really. No, because it scares the shit out of egos. That's why. So what's someone to do? Right? This gets to the heart of the ethics of money. Do you express your truth and just trust that that value, that authentic truth, and trust that that value will come back in the form of money? Or do you pander to the base instincts of consumers like cigarette companies do and uh, laugh all the way to the bank on the deaths of 10, 15 years ago, it was 5 million a year worldwide that tobacco killed. That's not producing value. Joseph, can I ask you a question? Yes, ma'am. We've been talking about the gap between your intention, your, your belief being better than what the actual result is. Mm-hmm. But there are many, I know, that are the other way around, that believe they are not as good as they are. They're uh-huh. great, they're great, they think they suck, they're gorgeous, they think they're ugly. But where does that gap come from? Mm, probably the same place. I mean, it's the same thing. It's just um, what happens then. That's what produces uh, high achievers. <laughs> that's really funny. For a second, I was like, I don't know. And it was like, oh, I don't know, because that's me, because that's what I did. <laughs> so what, what can happen as a child that creates high achievers is when the parents are not accurately reflecting reality to the child, basically either of two things can happen. They will underestimate themselves or they'll overestimate themselves. And it can depend on the domain. But like, so for me, for example, I was a smart kid and my parents did not appreciate that at all. And it took me a really long time to actually see that. How I interpreted it was, oh, I'm just not performing well enough. So I did better and better and better and better. Uh, I was really not a good student in middle school at all. I had a lot of B minuses in sixth and seventh grade. And that was the first time we got grades. And being the Enneagram 3 that I was, I saw, oh, there are metrics now. And like their A's are better than the B's. And people are smiling at the people who get the A's and putting those on the refrigerators. I saw the game. My sophomore year in high school, I got all A's, no A minuses. I just, I just saw the game. It wasn't from a place of authentic truth. I wanted to win the game to get love. And I was, at the end of my sophomore year, I was at the top of my class. So, and then that all fed into, it went too far to the other side. It's like, okay, I'm at the top of my class. Well, I must be a total badass and untouchable and all that. And academically, there were some ways in which, uh, I was. And then I went to college. I got my ass kicked because I was surrounded by a bunch of people just like me. <laughs> and the bar was raised. I got my first C minus my freshman year in, uh, in college. And that was a failure. 
It was for me, even though it wasn't an F. So it can go either way. It's just for most people, it's the uh, opposite. The overachievers, which are, I don't know, 10, maybe 15% of the population, they have to learn to, to chill out. They have to learn to calm down and let things slide a bit. Depending on the domain, you got to be careful with that. So thanks for bringing that, Catherine. That's really important because if there are any overachievers here, I, I, I know there are a few, you have to look at this stuff very carefully because there can be domains in which you're overcompetent, uh, which can create perfectionism and obsession. And then, and then that typically will cause incompetence in other domains because you're putting energy into things that don't deserve it. You know what I mean? That's a great point. Anything else? Our final set. Go ahead. To that point, as somebody that just loves studying music and musicians and how they came to be, I don't know if I know of any musician of great, you know, fame or whatever that isn't one of those. Um, Overachievers? Overachievers that really didn't think they were that great. Yeah. My, My two examples that are my favorite was when Kurt Cobain finished the mix of Nirvana's Nevermind album, he went to the producer and he's like, do you think it'll be okay? <laughs> really? You'll People will like it? And he was like, dude, yeah. He's like, okay. And my favorite all time is Eddie Van Halen. It's a story that was reminded when he died. When he, was, uh, when he wrote Eruption for Van Halen 1, he was just sitting in the recording studio noodling. And the producer was like, uh, dude, what is that? He's like, I don't know. I'm just kind of messing around. Can we record that? Why would you want to record this? Not a song. And he goes, push record to the engineer. One take recorded arguably the greatest, you know. Certainly rock. one of the most famous guitar solos in rock history. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Probably always will be. Yeah, yeah. So what I think is the proper experience, at least at the top end of Thrival, is you, you ought to be going through the experience of thinking like you're awesome and thinking like you're not. I think, I think. It should be both. The pendulum should swing. At least like that's how you know you've got an ego who's not running your life. Because it's going to be ego. The ego is going to be, wow, this is amazing. I'm a genius. That's ego. It's also ego when it goes, oh, I don't think this album is going to sell a single copy. That's also ego. It's swinging from unworth to its compensation over self-valuation or arrogance. right? But at least if that's changing a lot, you know the truth is somewhere in between. The problem is, is when people never risk achieving excellence and never actually consider that they maybe suck at something. That's mediocrity. And that runs the world. That's like when you're on the phone with a customer service representative and you just told them about you know, this disastrous thing that happened. And they say, I'm sorry if there was an inconvenience. You're like, I just told you all about the inconvenience. What do you mean if? They're not in reality. You know, this is it's become a hobby of mine training customer service people for free. I don't know why I do that. It's just my philanthropy, I guess. It's the philanthropic arm of Clear and Open. Hi, it's Joseph Shapiro. I'm here to train you as a CSR because you're going to put a conditional word in my, in your apology. Oh, God. So, well, about money. Let's tie this all back to money now in the last five minutes here. So, if you have less money than you want, it could be a competence issue. It's not necessarily one. It could be lots of things. But you want to have your competence be an ongoing 
orientation, that it's not, uh, it's the same way I define responsibility. Responsibility is looking at where you're irresponsible. Competence is looking where, is about looking where you're not competent. About an hour, sometimes less, before every one of these calls, I'm, a part of me is terrified that I won't be able to pull it off and make it valuable. And I spent a half hour outlining the conversation today because I was afraid I would lose track of it. And the, while I was doing it, I was like, oh, this is kind of complex. I don't know if I can reproduce this without notes. Turns out I hardly needed the notes I made at all. But that's what the prep is for. But you see the fear, if you will, the concern, it's care. It's I care so much about doing this well that I'm going to prepare. Now, one of the key things about competence, though, is it cannot be other-based. When it's for someone or something else, you never get excellence. Something will fall down. Because where does that come from? Can you connect the dots? Comes from performing for mom and dad. It's not inside out. Healthy self-interest is this act, whatever I'm doing, is an expression of my inherent goodness. And so I want to see that it is good. So it is an expression of how I experience myself to be. That's healthy, self-interested excellence. Unhealthy, egoic scheming is inside I don't feel good, but I know I need to look like I am. So I'll do as good as I need to in order to get what I need to get. I'm doing it for other. And that may be quite good, but it's never really real. So it'll be tinny, it'll be brittle, and it will fall down eventually. Any of you ever had a job that you were really good at, but was not really ever you? And eventually something happens, you just lose it. Because even if you do the job well, it's a sense, people can sense it. It's not like this doesn't fit you. And then inevitably that starts to come through in your competence here and there. So authenticity is always the the key there. So again, and that's why I created the code. I'll be making you look at that again. The the code, something as simple as, let me give an example, being on time. On timeness, timeliness, is the most simple and multiple times a day thing where you can look at the gap between your intention and your results. Because every time you're not on time, something happened. That's a gap in your excellence. Do you know what it is? You look. You don't say, I'll try harder next time. I'm a good person with good intentions, so forgive me for being late. No, you look at why and how you were late. You turn toward the, quote, failure so that you can learn. That's how you get better. That's how you get better. And so most great people, like uh, Ed was talking about with musicians, most people who are great at something, and the conditioning we have around this is terrible. You know, like we have films like Rocky and, you know, you know, the person loses the fight or whatever it is. And then there's the two minute training montage with the inspiring music and then they win. That's not how it is at all. It's horribly difficult. It's grueling. It's awful. Real hard training to become great at something. It's incredibly difficult. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. Last thing, years ago, about 10 years ago, there was a, a woman who appeared to have won the Boston Marathon. And then like a few hours or maybe days later, it came out that she'd left the race and then driven to like the last mile and, and ran it. And so she cheated. <laughs> she just 
quite funny in a way. Like, wow, I'd want, I want to interview this woman about her childhood because she wanted to have, and this is the maximized thing. She wanted to have the approval, right? Can you imagine tens of thousands of people cheering as you, the first woman in the race crossing? And she got to feel that. But imagine that was you and you cheated. Would you have actually experienced the glory? You don't. The same way the beer doesn't taste as good unless you spent six hours working in the yard, right? It doesn't taste as good. You can, you can drink the beer. You can drink three. You can, try, you can try to drink six to try to get the feeling of, oh, this is a reward for my competence. But it doesn't work. And so we want, because of our childhood wounding, we want to have all of the rewards without having to do any of the work. But that's not fulfilling. What's fulfilling is putting in the the effort as, again, it's a self-expression thing. It's no different than playing music or writing a poem. Have your work be in a self-expression of your one thing. Remember that from Learning for Change, of your one thing. That's what draws money to you as a symbol of the value that you are and that you express. That, my dear ladies and gentlemen, is what money is. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.